So Money episode 1031, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Georgia Lee Hussey, founder of Modernist Financial. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What I've been talking with my clients about, especially those who have progressive values, is like, yes, you can take advantage of this market. Yes, you can apply for a PPP. Um, Maybe you might want to think about letting other people go first who really need it because... I have friends who really needed it because of the way their businesses are structured and they are in the, in the application process for the PPP. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting in that line until I know that the, like the rush is over number one, but also like, I'm, we're going to be fine. We could, we're going to get tight and so on, but we're going to be fine. And like, I don't want to take money away from folks who keep people employed, you know? Yeah. I've shared a little bit of that sentiment on the podcast, people writing in and saying, I'm a landlord and I'm good. I have income. I can pay the mortgage. Although the apartment is vacant right now. Um, should I call my mortgage company anyway and ask for a deferment? And I'm like, look, why don't you lower the rent and then you'll get someone to come in. You'll get Mm -hmm. something rather than nothing. And then you're helping someone out who couldn't normally afford to live there. And he actually did end up doing that and lowered it just by a few hundred bucks. And Mm -hmm. that that opened up the market for him. But I... I'm with you. I think that we're, we're holding businesses more accountable right now. We're saying to, we're saying to businesses, we're watching you, you know, whatever, yep. if you're not practicing moral values right now, we'll remember this. And I think the same should go true for people who are well off individuals, you know, mm-hmm. like if you have the capacity to give back or just not take from these federal subsidies, I think that's um, the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree. And, and that requires taking a beat and being quiet for a minute, because in this moment, there is, there is a very natural human tendency to sort of like, well, I need to take what I can right now because I don't have enough. But in order to define that not enough, you have to actually sit and say, what is enough? What is my situation? How are we going to be okay? And in a lot of, I mean, certainly all of our clients, they're going to be fine. Um, you know, are there going to be setbacks? Yes. Are there more like, is there likely to be more debt and larger programs coming down the pike. Yes. So take a beat. (laughs) Take a beat. And I, by the way, I'm recording this. I think we should let this one air because I'm really enjoying this back and forth. We weren't, we, (laughs) you may not have realized we were recording, but I always hit record when the guests come on. And, uh, but I think this is important to include in the episode and everyone listening. Welcome to So Money. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. You're hearing the beautiful voice of Georgia Lee Hussey, a friend of the show and the founder and CEO of Modernist Financial out in Portland, who has been visiting the show from time to time with so much information information, so much guidance. And Georgia, welcome back. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here as always. We have many questions today from people looking to perhaps buy a home and how much can I afford in this market? We have a friend asking a question about student loans and uh, what does it mean when the interest rate is going to go away temporarily? Is that a good thing in the long run? We're going to help her out with that. And uh, yeah, just in general, how to 
live smarter right now, be more frugal. Um, Georgia, you're saying that a lot of your clients are concerned about sort of like how to make the most of the situation right now. And kind of when this subsides, kind of hit the ground running, what are you sharing with them? Yeah, it's right now we're very focused on cash flow because as I always say, cash is queen and we need to take good care of her. And so we're spending a lot of time looking at day-to-day spending for our families. And then for folks who own businesses, we're also looking at the sometimes week by week, but certainly month over month projected cash balance at the end of the month. Um, because we right now it's all about runway for both families and businesses and making sure that we're clear on what the various options that they have are. Because there's a a lot of research showing that if we can play through the scenarios, if this happens, then we'll do this. If that happens, then we'll do that. Um, I sort of, I try and work from a most ideal scenario to least ideal scenario, because of course I don't want to frame it as like worst case scenario because that will create its own uh, ripple effects in the psyche. So, you know, most ideal to least ideal. And then we say, okay, if this happens, here's what we're going to spend first. Or if this next thing happens, then we're going to cut these expenses, et cetera. Um, because that can give us a sense of control at a time when we don't feel like we have control. Humans don't manage change very well. And um, when we're scared, with when we have a, a base feeling of fear, oftentimes fear can drive a lot of unskillful uh, behavior, whether it's anger or it's a sense of like grabbiness of like, I need to get everything I can. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to both practice gratitude for what we have, but also to see that our community, our neighbors are suffering right now. And how can we, maybe we do have enough. And certainly our clients, because we have a very high minimum, um, they, they're fine, you know? And so helping remind people that they have enough, um, and they actually have this capacity for generosity right now that can have a huge impact is, is where we're spending a lot of our time. And that's why we love you, really kind of changing the dialogue around this and the mindset and the frame of mind. Um, We're going to help people out very quickly. I just want to quickly go to iTunes, Georgia, and just pick our reviewer of the week. This person's going to get a free 15-minute money session. I feel like a game show host when I do this portion (laughs) of the show. I'm like, you'll receive. Show them what they've won, Bob. But Katie from California on April 5th wrote uh, how much this podcast has changed her and her partner's life. She says that uh, Farnish's advice for the past three years has helped my husband and I save up a six-month emergency fund, pay off 80% of our student loans. We've saved $50,000 for retirement, and we've doubled our salaries through big career moves and negotiations. So look, I'm not going to take all the credit for that, but it does warm my heart to know that this has arrived for them. And also in this climate, they've arrived with this savings emergency account and having very little debt and having their retirement funds uh, growing. I think that's um, amazing. And Katie from California, please get in touch. You can email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com or you can go on Instagram and direct message me there. Let me know that you left this review and I will quickly send a link so that we can connect and we can talk more about what's on your money plate. 
And everybody, if you would like to do this, I'm doing this every week, picking a reviewer from the iTunes section, someone from the last, uh, you know, month or so. Um, so if you, even if you left a review a few weeks ago, like Katie did, there's a good chance you'll still get your name called at random. And that concludes our game show portion of So Money. <laughs> okay, let's go to the mailbag. And we have a question here from Audrey, who is interested in home ownership, but her challenge is the affordability factor. So there's a lot of calculators online. And depending on which one you run, you can get a very different number. Here's her situation. She says, my husband and I live in the Boston area. We make a combined gross income of 160000 The only debt we have is a car payment of around $260 a month. We contribute to our 401ks generously. They both put in 15%. They have an emergency fund, don't have kids yet. They said that based on the calculators that they're seeing online, they're getting affordability numbers of anywhere from $360,000 up to $780,000, pretty much double. So that's weird. Do you have any recommendations or resources to look at to make this less overwhelming and to kind of get them more to a true affordability? You know, I thank her for sharing a lot of this context. It's important to know how much you have in savings and, you know, your incomes and all of that. I will just share a few of my ideas and I'd love to hear what you tell your clients, Georgia. But I think that when we think about our budget, right, whether you're renting, you're owning, your housing payment is typically the biggest part of that pie. And we like to say that keeping that portion of your budget to no more than 30% of your take-home pay is a good place to be in. And I think, you know, for me and my husband, we never like to go up to 30%. We're, we're like in the 10 to 20% range because we just like to sleep at night knowing that if all uh, systems fail, we can still make that mortgage payment. So depending on your risk tolerance and how conservative you might be and other things that you might want to save for, you may not want to go all the way up to 30%. You might want to be somewhere more like 15 or 20%. And as a homeowner, the more you can also squeeze into that percentage, your insurance, your taxes, your maintenance, the better. Uh, because like you mentioned, you don't have kids yet. You use the word yet, operative word. And so that's going to be an expense. <laughs> for you in the coming years. While I'm not saying go with the ultra conservative estimate of 360, I also think um, you don't want to go too high. Banks, I just have gone through the process myself. When they're pre-approving you, I believe they use a calculator, which is they want your debt to income ratio to be no more than 40%. So your mortgage payment plus taxes um, and perhaps insurance to equal no more than 40% of your adjusted gross income. I think that's pretty freaking high, actually. I'm kind of surprised that they use that percentage. I think that you want to look at something more like 25% at most uh, to maybe 30% of your take-home pay and perhaps even less if if you're looking to spend more money um, in, in future years. And also, remember, there's the down payment, that you want to save up for. And after all is said and done, you want to still have savings for an emergency. So taking all that into a consideration, I think is really important. Thinking about you know, what is that monthly payment that I can comfortably make and work backwards? What is that in the form of a mortgage plus taxes and insurance? What do you think? Yeah, I think those are wonderful starting points. Um, the things I would add are right now we are in a historically 
kind of lunatically, in my opinion, low interest rate environment. So it is likely that you're able to actually afford more right now than you would have normally been able to afford because you're locking in a very low interest rate. So um, it, it doesn't surprise me that there's some range here. And I would agree with you, Farnoosh, that sort of I feel emotionally comfortable with 15 to 20% versus I feel emotionally comfortable with 40% could often depend on your individual circumstances. So if you have jobs that are um, unionized, for example, or if you have jobs for some reason you feel like are very, very, very secure, then you may be more comfortable with a 40% because you don't have a, a, a sense of insecurity about how your um, how your income could fluctuate in the future. Um, I love the focus on looking at affordability before you go to the market. My joke is that the real estate is the most irrational asset class because it's so tied up in our personal values, our personal our, our, our net worth to the community and to ourselves. It's our home. It's where we nest. It's where we start families. So I think it's, it's very um, wise to begin with. What do you really feel like you can, um, you can afford? And then I'm making an assumption here that then you go to the market to look at what fits that need. Uh, because my experience with, um, many helping many clients with home purchases and et cetera, is that, it's really easy to fall in love with uh, real estate and to see yourself there and then to start to smush the calculator to work in your favor. <laughs> so right. um, I'm really I'm really excited that you're doing that. Um, I also would say that if you're thinking about having children, the thing that I see most regularly is somebody buys a house early in a marriage and then they have kids and then five or six years later they need to move because they're realizing the reality of trying to schlep children around and get them to the school that they want to go to. And now where's my job in relationship to that school, et cetera. So, um, think about that in terms of your time horizon. Uh, you may just be buying a house for the short term that will be a, uh, stepping stone to the next home. Um, so you, for me personally, because I spent a lot of time in New York, I would rather have a larger mortgage and not own a car. Um, because I would rather have an appreciating asset instead of a depreciating asset. So if you're in Boston core, maybe you have a slightly higher mortgage and you're able to have, um, no car. So there's, there's some livability things that can end up, um, impacting as, uh, Farnoosh says your overall allocation of funds, uh, can, can shift based on the, the kind of home that you're purchasing. Uh, so that's, those are some of my thoughts. I think the, the main thing is how, what's your risk tolerance as Farnoosh says, and do you have, do you feel like you can afford this mortgage payment if things that feel certain right now suddenly become uncertain? Very, very good advice. Audrey, we wish you a lot of luck. And um, she says, by the way, she's been listening to the podcast and it's one of the few things that's been keeping her sane during this pandemic. That means a lot to me, Audrey. It's a great compliment. I, you know, if, if I can offer anybody anything right now, it's, um, some sanity, hopefully, um, and some perspective. And so good luck to you and your family. And I hope that you guys find your dream home or, or a starter home that will eventually help you build up to that dream home. Melody says, do you have any advice for student loan borrowers now that federal interest rates are temporarily zero? She's a nurse. And Melody, thank you so much for all your um, brave efforts at helping us fight this virus. She's got a job, obviously, and so she wants to know, should she take advantage of this pause on interest? She's a little skeptical that her payments would go toward the principal. Um, so 
tell us a little bit about this new provision, if you know anything about it, um, Georgia. I understand that if you do have a federal loan from now until I believe it is um, September, uh, your interest is basically going to go to zero. Um, it's not going to accrue. You don't have to pay for this later. And that any additional payment you make towards your student loans will go towards principal, helping you knock down that balance perhaps faster. But there's some skepticism around this, which is understandable. What's your advice for Melody? Yeah, I think it's really important, again, to come back to um, your core values and your emotional state right now. Um, Right now, we are in um, a great deal of uncertainty. And I would say, you know, what are your most core needs at the moment? If zero percent on any amount of money is a very good deal. (laughs) I would not pass it up if I were you. Um, But I would say um, not knowing basically very much about your experience other than that you are employed and will remain employed. um, I would I've personally taken advantage, taken advantage of the zero percent interest rate and halted my payments on my student loans uh, because I can put that money to better use right now. Um, And I think some in order of priority, I would say start with making sure you've got a good solid reserve fund, use that extra money to build up your reserve fund. So just in case there is a need for an emergency um, expense that you've got cash there for it. Um, And that includes thinking about things like your house, if you need to do some repairs on your house or projects once we're all out of this, if you think your car might need some work, if you need to buy a pair of glasses in the next year, et cetera, just making sure that like those chunky on your regular expenses are allocated for. Then if that's met, then I would go and take that money and put it towards your retirement investments uh, because that money um, has the potential to grow at 7% over the rest of your life. Compound growth is our dear, dear friend. Um, And then if that feels like you're, no, you've already gotten that taken care of, then I would really think about generosity as an opportunity here. Do you have friends or family who really need support or help right now? Um, I know that the impact on the food banks has been gigantic. Um, The disproportionate impact on communities of color is unprecedented and heartbreaking. So if you don't need this money for yourself and the government is giving you a 0% interest rate for a period of time, then I would say use that that those resources for something that's going to either support yourself, support your future self, or support the community around you. I like that reminder to um, be generous if that's something that you have the capacity to do. And a lot of us want to help right now. And I find myself... Um, not yet deciding where to put the big, like a big paycheck towards. I'm going to have to sit down and really think about it. Uh, but I am trying on a daily basis to try to give back little by little, whether that's a friend of mine on Instagram, she was collecting grocery money for anybody who had been out of work, who works in, um, you know, service, the service industry, waiters, bartenders, um, people in the hotel services industry. And she was collecting Venmo account names, uh, people were reaching out saying, yeah, that's me. And then sharing it with her community and her friends saying who would like to contribute a hundred dollars to get, help someone get food for the week. And it's like things like that, that I think, um, don't take a lot of effort and we can all do this using our social media platforms, email and the phone text and, um, making a real big difference in individuals lives. And then of course there's charities. So thanks for that reminder. And I'd love to call out a program, uh, a um, effort that's happening right now 
called um, Hashtag Share My Check, which is an effort from a very cool organization called Resource Generation, which is a multiracial membership of young folks between 18 and 35 who have wealth or class privilege who are committed to an equitable distribution of wealth, land, and power. So what they're saying is, if you're getting a stimulus check, can you commit to giving a dollar of it away to folks who need it or your whole stimulus check if you don't? And it's very cool because it really wa- walks you through your opportunities to to either make that commitment if you feel like that's possible for you and your family, as well as where they're seeing the largest need is happening in your community. The other place that I think is a great resource if you're looking to support uh, local charities is your local community foundation. So here in Oregon, it's the Oregon Community Foundation. Um, If there's a New York Community Foundation, they are really on the front lines of the nonprofits that are deeply impacted in their income and also trying to – who have this – incredible surge in work as well. So um, that's a resource that may be interesting to help define like, how much do I want to give away? And how mm-hmm. much can I commit? And where, where can I have the biggest impact? Awesome. Wonderful. All right. So our friend here, Esta Valise, she's in the process of buying a home like our friend Audrey earlier. She's been pre-approved, but uh, she said that between negotiations and finally her offer being accepted, everything due to all the credit pulls from all the different providers has actually hurt her score. It's gone from 640 to 625 and she needs at least a 640 to qualify, I guess, for the loan or maybe the interest on the loan, anything that can be done. Hmm. That's a tough one. And I would wonder, is that the actual, look, there's a lot of different credit scores out there. Which one is she actually looking at? Is this the credit score that the lender has provided her with? And if it is, and she needs that extra 15 points, can she provide a letter to the bank that kind of explains the credit pulls? And one way you can prove this is to pull your credit report, which does not hurt your credit score. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, pull your credit report, which should show some of the recent activity, the inquiries, and you know, I feel as though there is a law, right, that protects consumers from multiple credit pulls for the purposes of applying for a car loan or a mortgage. There's understandably going to be a lot of credit pulls, but I believe that if as long as they happen over a, like a 30-day, 45-day period, it's all calculated as one pull as opposed to like 12. So it shouldn't have this damage on your score. But you know, 15 points um, may not seem like a lot, but right now it's the difference between maybe getting this loan or not. So I would try to investigate this. And to the best of your ability, if you can pre- present to this lender that you're good for it, right? That you, again, there's a lot of factors that go into, I would think, your mortgage. It's your income verification. It's a letter from your employer, perhaps stating that your job is right now secure. It's showing that you've um, been good to pay your bills. You have savings, all of it. Um, and yeah, you, if you need a 640, ask if they've ever made any exceptions. That's always a good negotiating tactic is to throw it back to the lender and say, okay, well, 15 points. And I have a feeling this has to do with the whole process of applying for this loan. Is there, I haven't been delinquent on any debts. I have, you know, my debt to income ratio is still the same as it was when we started the application process. Is there anything that you can help me out with? And I think right now, Georgia, banks want to go in business with people. So I think Mm. they will not be quick to toss this out the window. 
Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't have as much experience in this area um, as as I would like. But I'm a little confused about why so many people were provide were pulling her credit report as a hard pull. Closer to your to your point, and um, that seems like it's potentially, as you say, uh, an opportunity to write a letter saying, "Yeah, you know, if she can trace it." And I think if she was working with a mortgage broker, or if she herself was just applying for different loans to see what you would qualify for. That's where, I mean, it's, it's good practice sometimes to get competing offers from different lenders. Mm -hmm. And that could have been what she was doing and that's understandable, but, um, it does have this potential to ding your score. How -hmm. much is always uncertain. If you're rate shopping, right. For a car loan or mortgage, those pulls should not, they should not aggregate. And every time you do it, it's a hard pull. It's, it's, so anyway, this also, I know these hard inquiries do end up falling off your credit report at some point. Now it's not going to be in the time frame that she needs it to, but I do think it's a conversation that she wants to have with the lender, get ahead of it and explain what you think has happened. And again, pull your credit report if you can show that this is actually what hap- has happened, but shop elsewhere. If they're not going to give you the loan, maybe somebody else will. Yeah. And I, uh, maybe you can take the hard pull that's already been done and and just take it with you if they're not going to help you out. I think the other thing that's important here is to not let the urgency of the market drive a poor interest rate decision because an inexpensive interest rate has a huge impact. So, um, you know, you may have fallen in love with this house and either you may be really trying to get this thing through, but, um, there is a built-in urgency to the home purchasing process that makes it hard to make long-term choices. So if um, if it's not working out, it may not be working out for a reason, and it may be better to just have a little bit of additional patience mm-hmm. and try and let your credit score come back up. Um, but I would really, your mortgage broker should really be a partner for you in mm-hmm. this situation to give you guidance on what your best next step is. Yeah. Great tips. Okay. Let's help out Lyle. Okay. So Lyle is 48 and wife is 44. Together they have accumulated just over $2 million in their 401ks. That's really uh, fantastic. And that includes um, company stock as well, other taxable accounts. That's where the $2 million is. We also have about 600000 in more liquid high interest savings. So the question is, should they retire right now? If we retire today, Lyle says, we can draw on our savings as well as take what's known as SEPP payments. Um, that stands for Substantially Equal Periodic Payments. And just for listeners, I had to look this up myself because I wasn't familiar with this, but it's a, a program, a lesser known program that can enable you to withdraw money from your 401k or your IRA before the age of 59 and a half without an early withdrawal penalty. Um, so he's saying we can do this and we can live very comfortably. Um, we obviously he said we, we worked hard for the last 25 years to get where we are. We now want to spend more time not working and having some family balance. So maybe we'll get a fun part-time job. Um, so here's the question. How do we do this? And so the standard withdrawal rate that we talk about with retirement from your retirement accounts is 4% annually. So should they do that? Is there any reason why they shouldn't retire today? And note, this question arrived in my inbox on March 11th, a little like shy of, you know, the economy more or less collapsing. So I don't know if Lyle, I haven't followed up with Lyle to see if he still has these feelings, but what can we, what can we offer Lyle? 
Yeah. So this is, um, this makes my financial planner brain go on alert a bit. (laughs) Um, I think this sounds like something that's called the fire movement. I don't know a ton about it, but I've looked into it a little bit and I have some very significant concerns about the projection in Lyle's situation specifically. Um, I ran a really basic financial plan for Lyle and, um, if he wants his money to last, and I'm making a ton of assumptions about the investment allocation that he has and he and his partner have, um, he could maybe pull out about, oh gosh, I ran a couple numbers, 2000 a month. Um, and he could make his money last for the rest of his life. Um, maybe 3000 a month, which is far less than the 4% rule. Um, and so I personally would say maybe this is an opportunity for us an extended sabbatical, not a long-term retirement. Um, that 4% rule is, first of all, very much a sort of uh, cultural cliche that is not really grounded in financial planning practices. Um, it is too conservative for older people, and it's way too um, liberal for younger people because a financial plan is constructed of a ton of assumptions that we have to put together to say, okay, is the probability of success of this plan going to work. And that plan is if we put in X amount of money into the portfolio and we live this period of time, we pull out at this this rate and we have inflation of this amount and we think that this portfolio is going to grow at at a certain rate and we think you're going to live this long, which longevity is a really big concern here, um, will this portfolio last? So the 4% rule does not apply in Lyle's situation. Um, if Lyle were 70, I would say, oh, your 4% rule also doesn't apply. You might be able to pull out 6% very safely. Um, so I think that 4% rule, I would just put it in the drawer and say, nice idea, good starting point, but it assumes that you're 65 years old, you have a much shorter longevity um, because it's really an old like 1950s idea where we had a much shorter longevity than we do now. But instead say, you know what, let's invest some of this awesome capital that we've built together in a fee-only financial planner who can just do a review of our plan and tell us what, what we can actually do and then be able to check back in with them every couple years to see how progress is going Um because I'm looking at this and I'm saying, why is $600,000 in a high yield savings account, which is what I'm sort of seeing as his answer here. Um, it probably should be invested. That should probably be the first money he spends or he and his wife spends, excuse me, I'm apologies for focusing on Lyle's gender as much, but, um, that he should, that is not where you should spend the money first as a couple, rather, um, the taxable money is really valuable to you in retirement, especially if you're retiring before 65, um, years old, because that is the money that you can take out now without having to pay any, any income tax. So for a lot of our clients who retire early in the 50, 60 year old ages, we're using their taxable money to live on. And we let the retirement accounts grow because there's, they have a significant value to you in, in their long-term tax deferred growth. So I would, um, Find a planner you like, who you can play a, pay a flat fee to, and who can be a partner to you in making these decisions. Um, and consider some other ways to get this break and this time with your family um, that does not involve just saying, "All right, we're out. We're out of the employment market." 
Yeah. And speaking of the fire movement, there was a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about the fate of the financial independence retire early community. Many of them have been on this podcast and I really respect kind of, you know, the mission of it. I don't know how practical it is for most people, but it's truly inspiring to hear stories of people who are retiring early. And the reality right now, I think, is that Well, the fire movement isn't going away. That sentiment isn't going away. But the reality for many of them is that we may be retiring a little bit later than we had hoped simply because our investments need time to recover. And I think that's a fair... That's a fair assessment. But yeah, I think that Lyle and his wife um, would benefit from talking to a professional who can look more under the hood and give them some more specific recommendations. There's XY Planning Network, there's NAPFA, but the most important thing is obviously working with a fiduciary, someone who has your best financial interest at stake, not theirs. And um, you can have a couple of meetings and maybe you get everything you need out of that or create a more longer term relationship. But we wish you a lot of luck and congrats on on all the great work and effort that you and your wife have made towards building financial security for yourselves. Okay. Last but not least, Ali Alf on Instagram. This is good news. Just got an inheritance from my grandfather in the neighborhood of $300,000. Unsure what to do with it. After supplementing our emergency savings, which is taking us from three months to an eight-month cushion, we've become debt-free recently. We've paid off my husband's and my student loans, and we are fully contributing to our Roth IRAs. So what do we do with this money, especially now in this recession? Should I just put it in a CD, high-yield savings, pull the money out um, monthly and put it in the market? How much? Here's another... uh, note that Ali Alf added. She says, we would like to add to my children's college funds. We normally put $100 in our Roth IRAs and $100 combined into the kids' college funds. We're both teachers in California, important note. So their retirement will be mostly funded by their pensions. Um, They're not going to get social security income. uh, So that's why they're supplementing that with their Roths. So any advice? Wow, this is a, a huge amount of money. Um, and I think that it might be smart to just let it sit for a while and not do anything hastily. Yeah. Um, when did this question come in? Is an interesting That's question. a good question. <laughs> um, I believe it was, you know, it's it's in the last few weeks. Nothing okay, too, but then, you yeah. know, things have been changing quite rapidly. So, um, so quickly. <laughs> a few days makes a big difference, but uh, yeah. not sure. Yeah. So I think the, the way I like to think about investing, whether that's putting your money into a high yield savings account or a CD or investing in the market for the long term, is that you need to think about what's the job of this dollar. And you are um, very lucky to have this um, gift from your grandfather. And I think what is part of that is how do you honor your grandfather in that gift, but also make it yours. And that's what I really see in this question. And I'm, I'm very um, excited to see that wisdom coming through of like, how do we take care of ourselves with this in our own way? Um, because that can sometimes be an issue with a lot of our clients when they make an inheritance is you got to learn how to not make a choice like aunt Millie would, but for how we would. Right. So, um, I think that's very wise. Thinking about the timeline of needs, though, I think is essential. So you have a, um, it sounds like you have a little bit of savings. That's the emergency savings is up to eight months. That's awesome. I sounds like that's taken care of. Uh, given how volatile things are, you might want to 
bump that up in your mind to 12 months. And once things calm down and the economy recovers, you can then pull some more money out of that if you're really actually comfortable with six months in the long run. So that's like our today, our timeline of today. Now think about the next um, couple years, let's say one to five years. Is there anything you know that you wanted to buy? So if you said, okay, this is going to be the way that we buy a house or we do um, some other significant investment in our quality of life, uh, then I would say, I would put that money aside right now in a high yield savings account or a CD because the market is quite volatile right now. Um, and we don't invest our rule is you don't invest in the market. If you need the money in the next seven to 10 years, because market cycles are seven to 10 years and you may put the money in now, but it won't be there in the future when you need it. Um, that will probably shift a bit when, uh, bond markets change and there's your high yield savings account is probably going to see the benefit of that. Then I would say, keep those Roths funded. They are the just fanciest, most beautiful thing for a financial planner. I love a Roth IRA. So I would definitely keep those funded. Um, and what a lot of folks will do is they'll have a, or at least our clients is when they get a lump sum, we'll put some money aside in what we call a sinking fund. And that's the money that they end up putting aside and saying, okay, we're going to fund our Roths out of this. We're going to fund our, um, our, education funding out of this. And we're going to also include that house down payment or car purchase in this so that it becomes this like lump of money that you know is has a purpose. It's not just in like a big bucket, which I think can be very um, emotionally destabilizing, but rather it has, it has a purpose and it has a timeline set aside for it. Um, Five two nines. I love a five two nine. Similar to a Roth, it's going to be uh, tax free growth if you use it for education purposes. And um, but I would just be aware that um, sort of taking care of your own needs first and your and your kids second is really important because I often see clients who are um, have a tendency to want to fund their kids retire their kids education and then them next and that can be problematic because uh, your you having your money grow for you is is more important and then I would finally say whatever's left over when you do those calculations I would say that money should probably go towards your retirement um, but in a taxable account um, much like our last uh, questioner, um, having money in a taxable account gives you a ton of flexibility in the future. And so I would really allocate that in something similar to what you've got your Roth in. Um, and really think about that's money for your 75 year old self. You're not going to spend it. You're not going to sell. It's really, it's whole purpose is to be volatile and go up and down because over the long run, it's going to go up. Yeah, I think securing your future, Ali Alf, is uh, a great way to go about this as far as where to put a chunk of this money. And like you said, Georgia, you know, putting on your oxygen mask on first is is more important. I know there's a lot of emotional pull to put money towards your kids' education, but you have a pension, but you also have to supplement that. Your kids can take out you know, student loans. They can go to school part-time. They can figure out ways to navigate the finances. And who knows in the future with the cost of college? Right now, there are a lot of colleges that 
I suspect we'll be out of business um, following this pandemic. And I think that the whole online, the push to online learning, it's really just going to accelerate where we would have been anyway, where a lot of schooling will just turn to uh, teaching online. And and with that, are you going to really pay the big bills, the big tuition costs if, if a majority of your education is being done online? You gave them a lot of great specific advice, Georgia, and um, congratulations on you know everything that you've done so far to secure your finances. Finances, Elielf, and wishing you and your family health and wellness right now. Thank you so much, Georgia. I want to make sure everybody can find you. And where's the best place for them to, to hop on and learn more about your work? Yes, we are at modernistfinancial.com. And if you are looking for some insight into your money story right now and your personal relationship with money, we have a free download called the Modernist Money Toolkit. It's right there on our front page of our website. And you can just download that. And it's three tools you can work through with yourself, with your partner, with your loved ones. We're all stuck at home. So why not have a virtual money stories party with your friends and talk about what does money mean to us and what are our money history and stories? Because that is really what's guiding us right now. So I would recommend you do that. We also have a COVID-19 resources page on our website with um, tools and resources to manage this moment, including some on the more spiritual, um, physical, and um, mental side as well, because we all need a little bit of grounding right now. Um, So if you are a person who has recently inherited or sold a business and are looking for comprehensive, ongoing wealth management, we are a great option. But if you're not, we also have a resources page on there that helps you find a good financial planner that's aligned with your values, who's a fiduciary and sort of guides you through that process because we want everybody to have the financial support that they need. Yeah. Thank you so much for all those resources and everybody continue to send me your questions. We'll be doing this show obviously every Friday as we have been, but if you have questions on the go and need something quickly, I'm going to try my best to answer them on uh, Instagram, direct message. Just follow me there at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks so much for tuning in everybody. Thank you, Georgia. And I hope your weekend is so money. 